was a couple driving down the road. They were a married couple, been married for several years. They were a farm couple driving down the road in their farm truck and sitting up there in the front with that, that long bench seat. And uh, the wife was sitting up against the window. And as they were driving down the road, she was looking at the crop fields and she sighed a little bit. And the husband heard the sigh and he turned to her and he said, Honey, what's wrong? And she said, Well, I'm just thinking about the old days. She said, You know, uh, there was a day when we used to drive this old truck down the road and we would sit right up against each other. And he thought for a second and as he drove down the road and he turned to her and he says, Well, well honey, I'm still sitting in the same seat. Now, right before she whopped him, right, um, if she would have thought about that, she might have realized that there was some truth in that statement. And, and, and the truth is, is that many relationships today fail because, uh, because one or the other person has moved themselves away from, uh, from that other person. This happens in, in, in marriages where a husband and a wife will go through the motion and, and uh, they'll go through all the motions of life. They're getting the kids to school and, and the bills are being paid and supper is on the table and, and the, the kids are getting to uh, ball practice and to all the things that they do. But for one reason or the other, they have uh, stopped loving each other inside the marriage the way that God has commanded them to. They're going through the motions, but for whatever reason, they have abandoned the practice of godly love. And the same thing can happen in your relationship with Christ. The exact same thing can happen in that you may find yourself doing all the right things. You go to church, uh, you uh, ritualistically read your Bible, uh, you pray, uh, you give to your church, you serve, you work hard, and for whatever reason, if you're not careful, even though you're doing all the right things, you can find yourself uh, in a broken relationship with the Lord because the love that we are to have for the Lord just isn't where it should be. And I'm reminded when I think about that story of, 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 of the husband and the wife. You see, if you are not where you need to be in your relationship with the Lord, if you're not walking closely with the Lord, if you're not practicing and, and, and living a life that loves Him first, listen, it's not because He has moved away from you. It's because for whatever reason, you've scooted away from him, And so, as we pick up here in Revelation 2, we begin looking at the first of the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia here in Revelation 2. And with this first letter, what we're going to see is a church uh, who did many of the right things. They had good doctrine, good beliefs. They were hard workers. We're going to see that here in just a moment. But for whatever reason, they had abandoned the command to love. And because they had abandoned that love for God and for others, if something didn't change, then that church was on the fast track to failure. So we're in Revelation chapter one, uh, chapter 2, I'm sorry, starting in verse 1 and reading 
to verse 7 in this letter to Ephesus. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance and that you cannot tolerate evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. You also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first, otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in God's paradise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the holy, true, perfect, flawless word of God. And we pray your blessings upon us today as we seek to understand the dangers that were associated with the church of Ephesus. Uh, Father, as they had abandoned love. Father, help us to avoid that as people and as a congregation. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to notice here, this is a kind of a callback to something we talked about last week, but the first thing we notice is the righteous judge. If you, uh, if you see verse 1 right here, it says, Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus is holding the seven stars in his hand. The stars, remember, are the leaders of the church. Uh, Jesus walks among, he walks in judgment of the seven golden lampstands. These seven lampstands uh, represent the seven churches that the letter is written to. And also, being seven being the number of completion, it's representative of the entire church, the global church of God. What this means is that he is in charge. He is in charge of his churches. He is he is in, in charge of the ministry that is there. And so he is in control. We talked about that last week in Revelation 1. You remember we, we talked about how everything in the description of Christ in Revelation 1 when John hears the voice of Jesus and he turns and he sees Jesus. Everything he describes describes for us the majesty and strength and authority and righteousness of our God. And as you think about that, that really brings up the question of why does Jesus show himself in such a dramatic way? When he appears to John, why does he appear with, with, with so much pageantry? Why does he appear in, in such a way that is, is, is so... Um, undeniably expressive of his majesty and his power. Remember, John probably knew Jesus his whole life. He knew the voice of Jesus. 
He knew the teachings of Jesus. He knew the face of Jesus. Why does Jesus have to show up in such power and majesty? And if you, if you understand the culture of that day, you would understand why Jesus shows up so dramatically. Because in the AD 90s, Rome was under the control of a tyrannical emperor named uh, uh, Domitian. You've heard the stories about Nero and how awful Nero was to Christians. Okay, uh, Domitian takes it up another notch. In that day, many Roman emperors were recognized as gods after they would die. And so the next emperor would come, come along and say, or, or maybe priest or whatever would come along and say, well, we're going to begin worshiping this dead emperor as a deity. Now, they weren't really deities. They weren't really gods. They were false gods. This was all mythology. Uh, but it was common to do after they had died. But Domitian comes to the scene and he says, you're going to worship me as a god today. And so he says, I am in charge. I am the judge. I am the ultimate authority. In fact, the Roman historians tell us that, that Domitian uh, had himself coined with a particular phrase, a particular title. And it's the titles uh, Dominus et Deus. You know what that means? It means Lord and God. Domitian, uh, he, he demanded that people give him or recognize him as the title of Lord and God. You see, he set himself up as an authority. He was the, he was the moral authority in all of Rome. In fact, if you would go throughout these Roman provinces and throughout Ephesus, it would not be uncommon in some of the big structures for something to be written in the Greek that might say something like this, Caesar is never wrong. Okay? That was the culture that they were living in. And so Domitian proclaimed himself as the moral judge and he heavily persecuted people who helped to biblical beliefs uh, because those biblical beliefs got in the way of his political agenda and that's really what it comes down to it got in the way of his political agenda so you know what he did he squashed it he would allow you to have your little beliefs as long as you didn't proclaim it in the public square as long as you didn't stand up and try to tell somebody that Jesus is Lord and that he is the only way and that there is one way to God and, there, and that there is a God that loves you and his love is expressed through Jesus and Jesus alone. You see, you could be arrested, you could be punished, imprisoned, or killed for that. You were considered an enemy of the state because this is a culture where Domitian was recognized as the ultimate judge of what was right and what was wrong. So when Jesus appears to John, Revelation 1, and again, we see another glimpse of it here in Revelation 2. When Jesus appears to John, he appears as the righteous judge. He is the authority from heaven, not the mission. Jesus is the one who determines good from evil and right from wrong. Jesus is the one who issues Moral decrees, not some earthly ruler. So whatever Jesus says, whatever, whatever feedback Jesus gives, instructions he gives to these churches, 
This is straight from the mouth of God. It is said with the full judgment and authority of God. People wouldn't have the excuse. You know the little excuse people use today? Judge not, for ye shall be judged. You heard that? Listen, there is a time and a place for that, but that is one of the most misinterpreted and misquoted scriptures in all of the Bible. It is one of the top. There's nobody going to say to Jesus, judge not Jesus. No, Jesus, he is the judge. It is, he is the righteous one. He is the creator of all things. He is a God who is in charge, a God who comes with power and majesty and authority. You ever notice when Jesus called the disciples, when, when he called the disciples, he didn't say, come and follow Caesar. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, come and follow pop culture. Come and follow Hollywood. That's not what he said. He didn't, he didn't say, come and, uh, c- come and follow each other. He didn't even say, come and follow the church. What did he say? Come and follow me. Because Jesus is the authority. We see Judge Jesus here. And the first thing that we see that, that he does as he talks to the church is he commends them. He commends them. So, so, so he starts by reminding them and affirming for them all the things that they're doing right. He says, I know your works. I, I know your labor, your endurance. I know that you're working hard. You are a church that are, that, that is, that, that's praying. You are a church that is sending missionaries. You're a church that's raising funds. And you are a church that are doing a lot of really, really good things. He's, he's not telling them they're lazy. They're not lazy. It says that they're hard workers. They're not heretics because it, it says that they have tested those who call themselves apostles. It says I, you won't even tolerate evil. It's not that they've gotten tired of doing what is right because it says that they've endured a lot of hardships and have not grown weary. But they are living in a day that worships and the culture that worships pagan gods. They are living in a very important city. Uh, this is a very large city. It was one of the three largest cities in the Roman Empire at this time. It's the largest city in Asia Minor. and uh, It's said and believed to have, have uh, uh, had about 250,000 residents. It, it is a culture that is ingrained with false teachings. It, it's a culture where people, they don't get up and go to church on Sunday. This is, this is praise God, part of our culture in the South. But in that day, in Ephesus, that was not the culture. They got up uh, different days of the week, and they would get up, instead of worshiping God, they would go worship uh, evil, pagan, false gods, and in false temples, doing things that you and I, if we thought about that and understood it today, you'd say, man, that's just straight up satanic. That is the culture that they were living in. And, and, and they've successfully guarded against the pagan teachings of the pop culture. They've also resisted temptations in believing in false teachers and false gospels. Um, in the first century, in Ephesus, there were a lot of 
false teachers. And, and when I say false teachers, I'm saying people who would come to them in the name of the God of the Bible and teach things that really was not from the Bible. There were false teachers. There were false versions of Jesus. There was different ideas about who Jesus was. Was he all man? Was he all spirit? Uh, the Bible says he was all God and all, and all man at the same time. Uh, it's called the, uh, the hypostatic union of Christ. It's an amazing thing. But there are all these different ideas about Jesus. And everybody had their own sort of version of it. There were new books and new ideas. And, and a lot of things were being proclaimed as biblical there in Ephesus in that day. And, you know, just like what happens today, uh, that was happening in those days when the gospel comes across an area and many new believers respond to the gospel and there's so, there are so, so, so much excitement about the things of God, uh, but there are not enough people in the body of Christ to disciple them. And so what happens in, in that, with that bottleneck? Well, the false teachers and the cults, they come in and they sort of sweep as many up as they can in the name of the Lord, but yet they do so in false teachings. I mean, think about this. Think about it today. You have a, you have a short-term uh, revival or crusade. Billy Graham comes to town, right? You have thousands and thousands of people come to a Billy Graham crusade. You have several hundred that are saved, or you have something like a promise keepers. Same thing. Many, many people go. Thousands of people show up for this gathering. People come in contact with the gospel of Christ. Glory to God. That's what we want to see. Uh, and, and there's excitement among people about the things of God. But the problem is, is that, uh, is that these people, many of them, have not really been engaged in the things of God. They couldn't tell you the, the difference between the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation. And, but they're excited about the things of God. And so the false teachers come in and, and, and they sort of sweep them in in their excitement. We have seen this over history time and time again, even in our nation. Joseph Smith did this in the 1830s. Charles Taze Russell did it in the 1880s. Jim Jones did it in the 1980s. David Koresh did it in the 1990s. The Heaven's Gate people in 1997. You probably don't even know about that. There were a group of people who literally believed that the Hellbop Comet was going to be the second coming of Jesus and they committed mass suicide with a few bucks in their pocket so that they would have money for the space taxi that was going to take them to God. Can you listen? That's what they do. There are false teachers everywhere. We saw it in, in, uh, in Arkansas. There was a cult leader named Tony Alamo. Began in the late 70s, early 80s and practiced strong into the 2000s. And his followers still are devoted to his teachings today. And here's the thing you have to understand about, about these false teachers. Not everything that they say is completely untrue. It's not that the false teachers are without some measure of truth in some of what they say. But it's that they, they are not reflective of the whole truth and everything they say. They take that little measure of truth 
and they twisted away from the doctrines of God's word. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say this. I have actually said this before. And, and I think there are a lot of people who mean well when they say this. But, but if, if we left, left the other part of this go unsaid, sometimes uh, people begin to develop the wrong idea. And here, here's, here's what I'm talking about. Have you ever heard somebody say that the problem with Christianity today is that uh, people need to hear more about what we are for and less about what we are against. Have you ever heard that? I, I, I'm, I've heard it. I have even said it. And there is some truth to that. But we must not forget at the same time there are still things that we are to be against because Jesus is the righteous judge. Uh, love is not letting someone be eaten by, uh, by wolves. Love is not letting a wolf into the sheep pen. The, the Ephesians stood for truth. So we see the righteous judge. We see that he commends them. Next we see is that he corrects them. He corrects them. He says, I see all the good things that you're doing, but here's my problem. But this I have against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. He says you're doing a lot of the right things, but, but you're doing them the wrong way. And if you think about the culture that they're living in, you can see how easily this would happen. Again, they're in a culture submerged in paganism and sin and evil and false doctrine and false teaching. And if you are guarding against those things, it is really easy to become uh, more like a soldier in that, in that you, you kind of begin to harden yourself uh, against some of, those, uh, uh, some of those people and some of the things that they are doing. You're guarding and, and you're guarding hard and you're fighting this fight all the time. And so what happens is the church becomes a fortress. And so it's a fortress where there are the false teachers and the wolves are, are kept out, but no sheep really want to come in. Because they're not very loving. And so uh, they, they, the sheep that maybe would want to come in who are not wolves are afraid to come in. Because they feel unwelcome or unloved and they feel judged or whatever that might be. Listen Perryville First Baptist Church. I want to tell you one thing that I have heard over the years since I've become your pastor. And people saying to me over and over again, people say things to me like this. I don't know what it is that's going on in that church, but I have never felt so welcome and so loved in my life. When people come and visit here, the Lord may lead them somewhere else. They're not coming. I'm not hearing things like, hey, I didn't go to that church because those people were mean to me. Uh, I'm hearing, man, we felt welcome there. We felt loved there, but... You know, we just live a little too far away to get there every week or whatever that might be. Uh, but, but one of the things that, that, that I want to tell you that I'm blessed to be able to, to, to hear those things. And I'm blessed by the way that you have been loving people at this church. You do a great job at that. 
Jesus says to the Ephesians, you're doing some great things, but you're not succeeding at your purpose because you're not loving me and loving people. He says, you've abandoned your first love. Well, what was that first love? Well, we see this in Matthew 22. It's the greatest commandment. You remember when, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they came together and one of them, an expert of the law, asked a question to test Jesus. And he said, teacher... Which command of the law is the greatest? And in verse 37, Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the greatest and most important. This is the protos priority command. And the second most important is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend upon these two commands. You see, an unloving church cannot and will not fulfill its God-given purpose. Jesus is saying, listen, y'all are doing a great job. You, you, you've avoided the false doctrine. Praise the Lord. But you need to, you, you need to love a little bit more. You, he's saying, you remember the old days when you understood that you're, the, the primary goal of everything is to love God and love others? It's because you love God that, 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 that it, it, uh, it causes you and, and inspires you and leads you to love others in the name of God. He says you need to be more loving. An unloving church cannot, will not fulfill its purpose. And the next thing that, that I want you to see here also is that doctrine that deviates from Scripture must be confronted in love and with love. We live in a culture today where there is great debate over many of the doctrines in Scripture. And, and there are people who are fiercely, well-intended, fiercely wanting to defend the truth of the Word of God. But some of them, although they're well-meaning, are kind of like a bull in a china shop. And in their attempt to defend, they break a lot more dishes than they guard and protect, okay? So we're reminded that doctrine that deviates from Scripture, Jesus doesn't say, stop standing from the truth. Jesus doesn't say, water down your version of God and your version of the gospel. He doesn't say that. What he does say is you got to love. Doctrine that deviates from Scripture must be confronted in love and with love. This applies to our ministry as a church, but it also applies to our lives as church members, in our, in our ministry, in our relationships at work, our relationships in our community, and our relationships at home. You know, as Valentine's Day approaches, <clears throat> we live, you know, in a culture that's going to be talking about love and flowers and hearts and candy and all that stuff. And you know, we're reminded of relationships this time of year, but I'm greatly aware that we live in a nation where many marriages struggle. Uh, many of them are bending under the weight and pressures of the world. Some of, them, some of them bending because they have bought into the false doctrines of pagan pop culture. Okay, But not all of them have. Some of them are, you believe the right things. You say the right things. You do many of the right things, but for whatever reason, you've forgotten how to really love one another. Listen, listen, 
a church that doesn't have love or a church that doesn't love is a church that is a church that will shut its doors. And a home that is absent from godly love is a home that will be absent from his blessing. We need to remember this as a church and as believers, there's a righteous judge. He commends them, but he corrects them and he tells them you need to love. And the third thing is he commands them. Look at verse 5. He says, remember then how far you have fallen. He, he, he says, remember that, that, that you uh, were lost and that you were saved by the blood of Christ. Somehow you have forgotten that and, and, and you've forgotten to, to express your love to God because of what he has done. So he says, so repent of that. He says, repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What's the lampstand again? The lampstand is the church, the ministry of the church. It's, a, it's amazing that I have seen over the years many, many churches close their doors. I've seen many churches close their doors because of really bad doctrine and teaching. But I've seen a lot of churches close their doors that had good doctrine and they believed all the right things, but they forgot how to love. We have to love. You, 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 we need to be careful of, of, of allowing ourselves to get to the point to where we're doing the, the right things in the wrong way. It's like Samuel told Saul, he said, obedience is better than sacrifice. If you want to see God move powerfully in your life and in your community and in your home, it starts with love. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we get ready to close here? As our musicians make their way forward, I just want to ask you this question. If this letter that is written from Jesus, if it was written to you, personally. If it's written to me. Just in your heart, I want you to think about this. No one but just you and the Lord. If he was writing you this letter, how would he commend you? How would he correct you? Would he, would he commend you or correct you for standing for the truth? Would he commend you or correct you for the way that you love see my prayer is that we would be a church body and church members who strive to proclaim the truth in such a way that people would see the depth of the father's love for us father we thank you for this time we pray your blessings upon us today father I pray that we would be a people Father, that would trust in you. Father, I pray that you would loudly commend us when we need to be commended and loudly and powerfully correct us where we need to be corrected that we might glorify you in all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name.
sheep, but they love them differently than shepherds. Okay? So the, the Bible uses the language of a Christian is like a sheep, and a, a leader is like a shepherd who loves and cares for the sheep, and a wolf is one who is very dangerous and comes to lead them astray. And so a good shepherd will fight against the wolves for the love of the sheep. That's why Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd. And 1 Peter 5 says he's the chief shepherd. They're, they're to just be following in his example those who are leaders in his church. And what he says is, false teachers have come, and like good shepherds, out of love for the sheep and the chief shepherd, you have opposed them, and that's good. And some of you need to hear this because you think the answer is to love everyone and to consider everything. Some people are deceptive. Some people are in it for the money. Some people are working for the enemy. You could pray for them and want good for them, but you should not accommodate them or tolerate them because they are leading you astray and that's not for your good. First Baptist Church, I want to tell you one thing that I have heard over the years since I've become your pastor and people saying to me over and over again, people say things to me like this, I don't know what it is, 
that's going on in that church. But I have never felt so welcome and so loved in my life. When people come and visit here, the Lord may lead them somewhere else. They're not coming. I'm not hearing things like, hey, I didn't go to that church because those people were mean to me. Uh, I'm hearing, man, we felt welcome there. We felt loved there. But, you know, we just live a little too far away to get there every week or whatever that might be. Uh, but, but one of the things that, that, that I want to tell you that I'm blessed to be able to, to, to hear those things. And I'm blessed by the way that you have been loving people at this church. You do a great job at that. Jesus says to the Ephesians, you're doing some great things, but you're not succeeding at your purpose because you're not loving me and loving people. He says, you've abandoned your first love. Well, what was that first love? Well, we see this in Matthew 22. It's the greatest commandment. You remember when, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they came together and one of them, an expert of the law, asked a question to test Jesus and he said, teacher, which command of the law is the greatest? And in verse 37, Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the greatest and most important. This is the protos priority command and the second most important is like it love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets depend upon these two commands you see an unloving church cannot and will not fulfill its God given purpose Jesus is saying listen y'all are doing a great job you, you, you've avoided the false doctrine praise the Lord but you need to you need to love a little bit more. He's saying, you remember the old days when you understood that the primary goal of everything is to love God and love others? It's because you love God that, 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 that it, it, uh, it causes you and, and inspires you and leads you to love others in the name of God? He says you need to be more loving. An unloving church cannot, will not fulfill its purpose. And the next thing that I want you to see here also is that doctrine that deviates from scripture must be confronted in love and with love. We live in a culture today where there is great debate over many of the doctrines in scripture. And, and there are people who are fiercely, well-intended, fiercely wanting to defend the truth of the word of God. But some of them, although they're well-meaning, are kind of like a bull in a china shop. And in their attempt to defend, they break a lot more dishes than they guard and protect, okay? So we're reminded that doctrine that deviates from Scripture, Jesus doesn't say, stop standing from the truth. Jesus doesn't say, water down your version of God and your version of the gospel. He doesn't say that. What he does say is you got to love. Doctrine that deviates from Scripture must be confronted in love and with love. This applies to our ministry as a church, but also applies to our lives as church members. In our, in our ministry, in our relationships at work, our relationships in our community, and our relationships at home. You know, as Valentine's Day approaches, <clears throat> we live... You know, in a culture that's going to be talking about love and flowers and hearts and candy and all that stuff. And you know, 
we're reminded of relationships this time of year, but I'm greatly aware that we live in a nation where many marriages struggle. Uh, many of them are bending under the weight and pressures of the world. Some of them, some of them bending because they have bought into the false doctrines of pagan pop culture. Okay, but not all of them have. Some of them are. You believe the right things. You say the right things. You do many of the right things. But for whatever reason, you've forgotten how to really love one another. Listen, listen, a church that doesn't have love or a church that doesn't love is a church that, is a church that will shut its doors. In a home that is absent from godly love is a home that will be absent from his blessing. We need to remember this. As a church and as believers, there's a righteous judge. He commends them, but he corrects them and he tells them you need to love. And the third thing is he commands them. Look at verse 5. He says, remember then how far you have fallen. He, he, he says, remember that, that, that you uh, were lost and that you were saved by the blood of Christ somehow you have forgotten that and, and, and you've forgotten to, to express your love to God because of what he has done. So he says, so repent of that. He says, repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What's the lampstand again? The lampstand is the church, the ministry of the church. It's, a, it's amazing. I have seen over the years many, many churches close their doors. I've seen many churches close their doors because of really bad doctrine and teaching. But I've seen a lot of churches close their doors that had good doctrine and they believed all the right things, but they forgot how to love. We have to love. You, 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 we need to be careful of, of of, of allowing ourselves to get to the point to where doing the, the right things in the wrong way. It's like Samuel told Saul, he said, obedience is better than sacrifice. So if you want to see God move powerfully in your life and in your community and in your home, it starts with love. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we get ready to close here? As our musicians make their way forward, I just want to ask you this question. If this letter that is written from Jesus, if it was written to you personally, if it's written to me, just in your heart, I want you to think about this. No one but just you and the Lord. If he was writing you this letter, how would he commend you? How would he correct you? Would he, would he commend you or correct you for standing for the truth? Would he commend you or correct you for the way that you love? See, my prayer is that we would be a church body and church members who strive to proclaim the truth in such a way that people would see the depth of the Father's love for us. Father, we 
thank you for this time. We pray your blessings upon us today. Father, I pray that we would be a people, Father, that would trust in you. Father, I pray that you would loudly commend us when we need to be commended and loudly and powerfully correct us where we need to be corrected that we might glorify you in all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? If the Lord is moving, if you'd like to come pray or talk, the altar is open. can be seated and we ask those who will be receiving the offering to uh, go ahead and make their way forward. Thank you for being here this morning and we are just uh, excited to serve such a majestic, amazing Lord and Savior. 